Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is brought to you by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, Stratosphere UX, and Profile Unity, which can help you transform your end-user experience. And by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And now for this week's news. Sadly, Paul Allen, co-founder of Microsoft, passed away this week. The cause of death was complication of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The timing seems somewhat profound with Microsoft making MS-DOS open source just two weeks ago and opening all of their patents last week. Mr. Allen's impact reached further than just a technological sense. He helped transform the city of Seattle in multiple ways, first as a cultural hub with his part in the Museum of Pop Culture right by the Space Needle, uh, as owner of Seattle Seahawks, which before he stepped in, the team was going to get moved out of Seattle. He also bought a lot of land in the area with a plan to transform it into a large park, but planning got rejected, and that land would later become home to large tech companies, including Amazon. So he's left quite the legacy, not only globally in the tech community, as well as globally with his philanthropy, but also has left a impressive legacy in the city of Seattle. His colleague, Bill Gates, who Mr. Allen didn't always get along with, at least according to his own book, released a statement, which goes, From our early days together at Lakeside School, through our partnership in the creation of Microsoft, to some of our joint philanthropic projects over the years, Paul was a true partner and a dear friend. Personal computing would not have existed without him. Current Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella also released a statement, stating, Paul Allen's contributions to our company, our industry, and to our community are indispensable. As co-founder of Microsoft, in his own quiet and persistent way, he created magical products, experiences, and institutions, and in doing so, he changed the world. I've learned so much from him. His inquisitiveness, curiosity, and push for high standards is something that will continue to inspire me and all of us at Microsoft. Our hearts are with Paul's family and loved ones. Rest in peace. VMware vSphere 6.7 Update 1 has been released. Some of the features in the client includes the new dark theme option, simplified alarm definitions and rule management, better navigation of performance charts, improved search experience, vCenter high availability workflows to combine the basic and advanced configuration workflows, and much more. For a full breakdown of features in not just the client but also in ESXi, vCenter, and other parts of the vSphere suite, Check out the resource links for this episode, which is episode 42, on 5bytespodcast.com or in the YouTube description for this episode. ICTR this week released a detailed write-up on performance impact after upgrading to Windows 10 v1809. It appears it consumes more resources on pretty much every measurable usage metric, some more so than others, such as CPU utilization. For a complete breakdown on comparisons to performance on 1803 and 1709, go to ict-r.com for the full article. And speaking of 1809, a quick update to a previous story about numerous issues with Windows 10 v1809. The register has reported that several people reported blue screens of death issues on their HP machines after installing the update. It appears there was a conflict with an HP keyboard driver. Microsoft has released a fix for this. There are also some reports of other different issues going around on Reddit forums, other tech forums, as well as Twitter. So if you're planning to update to 1809, 
you know, tread lightly. EFF.org reported that a recent update for Epson printer users has blocked the use of cheap alternative non-Epson manufactured print cartridges. About a year ago, HP users started to report a similar story. This is much to the chagrin of not just those who don't want to pay Epson or HP an extortionate rate for print cartridges, but also the security conscious out there who are livid that they dress these updates as security related, which could in turn make people wary of installing future security updates, putting more and more people at risk and also making security admins jobs harder. DuckDuckGo is now performing more than 30 million searches in a single day. This is the result of a relatively sudden growth in user base. Not all that surprising considering people's concerns for their data privacy. It'll be interesting to see if this trend continues. The MSIX packaging tool, which I have mentioned quite a bit on the podcast and have blogged about, is now publicly available in the Microsoft Store. The prerequisites include being on Windows 10 18.09 or later, uh, participation in the Windows Insider program, a valid Microsoft account alias to access the app from the store, as well as administrator privileges on your PC's account. Google Chrome 70 has arrived with progressive web apps. This seems to be an enhancement to the apps feature that has been present in previous versions of Chrome. With this release, you could choose to install from Chrome, which will create a shortcut in your Windows 10 start menu. In the past, the shortcut generated wasn't very flexible. It basically just launched your site into Chrome, but it was like delivering a shortcut just for that site launching within Chrome. Personally, I hope the display parameters for these apps can be customized. It's something I've tried to tweak quite a bit to deliver like a lockdown version of Chrome that only launches to that particular site. The app option has been useful in the past, kiosk mode, and some of the other parameters, but there are some limitations, so I'm hopeful that this will be less limited. Microsoft have announced they will be disabling TLS 1.0 and 1.1 in Edge and Internet Explorer 11 in the first half of 2020. Chrome 72 will deprecate it, upcoming releases of Safari and Firefox will too. And Barry Dorans on Twitter gave fair warning this week, stating, It'll soon be time for TLS 1.3. Remember the pain for TLS 1.2 on .NET 3.5 and 4.0. Now is the time to move to 4.7 and let the operating system take care of selection. AppV legend Tim Mangan pointed out a possible new AppV bug in Windows 10 18.09. It appears when publishing some packages, there's a prompt for reboot. That's a really odd one. If you don't already, you should definitely follow Tim on Twitter, at Timothy Mangan. Nobody is more active with AppV-related tweets than Tim is. ZDNet reported on a very interesting vulnerability found in all Windows operating systems from XP to Windows 10 on the desktop side and Windows Server 2003 to 2016 and likely in even older operating systems. Sebastian Castro, a security researcher for CSL, discovered the vulnerability. Essentially, there's a three-digit code at the end of the user SID called the RID, or RID, I guess, which stands for Relative Identifier. The most common RIDs are 500 for admin accounts or 501 for a standard account. Mr. Mr. Castro discovered that registries can be updated to modify the RID for a given user account. So theoretically, if somebody left a computer exposed to the internet without a password, somebody who wanted to be malicious could get in, find a low-level account, 
and up the account to an admin account using it to pretty much do whatever they want. This particular vulnerability was actually detected almost a year ago. At this time, there has been no known attempts to use this by hackers in the wild. Honestly, while this is pretty interesting, I don't see much of a threat for enterprise customers. They tend to strip out these types of accounts that could be leveraged, and most aren't dumb enough to expose their machines to the internet like that. A couple of episodes ago, I mentioned that I had a blog post drafted with my friend Trent Tai on Windows Virtual Desktop and Windows 10 multi-user in general. Well, that blog post is now live. Seems to be pretty popular, at least with uh, my fellow techies on Twitter. I'll include a link in the YouTube description and on 5bytespodcast.com if you'd like to check it out. So honestly, this next one could have been on scripts, tricks, or tips. This is a Guy Leach-inspired article. Um, Guy has shared an awesome PowerShell script, which is perfect for any control-up users in particular. It gives a more comprehensive breakdown of logon duration than you'll get in most tools out there today, including the obvious one for me at least being Citrix Director, which most Citrix customers already have access to. So definitely check that out. And now for this episode's hot job. CTG in Alaska are looking for a tech to help with the Windows 10 migration for at least four months. The requirements aren't all that heavy, so I thought it could be a perfect opportunity for someone at the beginning of their career who fancies contracting, maybe wants to see you know, a different part of the world or a different part of the country if they're in the US. And Alaska seems like a pretty interesting place. Uh, the duties will include imaging systems for deployment, upgrade, following standard scripts and automated procedures. I'm assuming that's going to be using SCCM or at least MDT. Uh, also logging asset information. So a very narrow scope of responsibilities it seems for this one. The person must also just have one plus years experience doing desktop support and troubleshooting. An A plus or similar certification is preferred. Knowledge of Windows 10 and Microsoft Office, experience with imaging software, excellent communication and customer service skills, and attention to detail. So essentially, it sounds like you're just going to be going around uh, imaging machines and possibly providing next day support. Could be a cool opportunity for somebody. And now for this episode, scripts, tips, and tricks. This week, it's a tip to check out James Rankin's excellent article on how to get the fastest possible Citrix logon times. I thought it was a perfect accompanying piece to Guy's PowerShell script that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, I also posted a blog post, I think maybe about a year and a half ago on um, Citrix is slow and some performance optimizations, but my own one wasn't specific to just bringing down the logon time. So this is definitely a different approach than the one I had taken, but I think together you could probably take my article, Guy's scripts, and some of the other information out there, piece them together with James's, and really optimize and have a bitchin' Citrix environment. Uh, James's article covers many different factors in making a fast login time, such as storage, group policy structure, profile management, active directory design, app provisioning, and more. It's an incredibly in-depth article. It's not just your typical do X, do Y, and do Z, and that's it. It's a very thorough explanation of why each recommendation has been made. So I strongly encourage that you check that out. And that's it for another episode, so thank you guys so much for listening.